This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a whole bunch of topics to talk about this week. You can see what some of them are here on screen. We've got a video index down in the description to jump to what you want to watch faster, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. They include Bill Strong, who donated via our donor box page. Jacob contributed via Patreon. Bruce Obenauer became our newest YouTube member. And the clan uh, Sweeney contributed via Super Chat. I want to thank everyone who made a contribution this week and to everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis. I also want to thank everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by our friends at Plex, and I wanted to talk about some of the cool stuff you can do with Plex for free. That includes hosting all of your own personal media, including movies, TV shows, photos, and music, and then have that media distributed to any device you've got with a screen. You can do that when you're in your home, but also when you're not at home. It's pretty cool stuff, and if you've got a large media collection, this is a great way to organize it and store it all digitally. I've got a full playlist here on screen where you can see all of the stuff you can do with Plex, so you'll be spending a lot of hours digging through all of that. A lot of features here and some great stuff for managing the media that you have under your direct control. Uh, But they're also now bringing in stuff from other places, including podcasts. They've got a great podcast client that allows you to listen to all of your favorite shows and keep everything organized right within the same interface you store your personal media. They have web shows, which includes this show, along with many, many other of your favorite creators out there. So definitely check out that. It's a great interface and really easy to get all the new things you want to see up first. There's no crazy algorithm here screening what you should or shouldn't see. If you subscribe to somebody on web shows, you see the new stuff when they upload it. It's great stuff. Check it out. Uh, They have news where you can get local and national news delivered right to your Plex clients anywhere you are. I watch some of my local affiliates on that one. It's good stuff there as well. Uh, They're going to be adding content soon from Warner Brothers and Lionsgate. That's going to be exciting. All premium TV shows and movies that will be licensed. And we're going to have more information on that soon. Advertiser supported, of course, but you won't have to pay for that. And then if you have a title account or want to get one, you can integrate title lossless audio Uh, with your existing music library. I store everything that I've got on my Plex server losslessly, and I can integrate stuff I don't have from Tidal with it. I did a video on that as well. It's a really cool feature, and they have a bundle where you can get a Plex Pass and Tidal together uh, for one price. And then, of course, if you want to do more, they've got the Plex Pass, which has a lot of great features here. You can see more about the Plex Pass and what it offers over the free edition at the link you can see on screen. I want to thank Plex for their ongoing support of the channel. Uh, We really do appreciate all that they've done over the last couple of years for us, and it's a product that I use every single day and love it. So check it out if you haven't already. So let's move on to the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed the NVIDIA Shields that I got in. 
I now have more NVIDIA shields than I know what to do with, so check out my store soon. I think I might be getting rid of a couple of them. Uh, and we also got in these really unique game controllers from 8-Bit Doe, uh, which we unboxed on the Extras channel and then reviewed on the main channel. And everything else we did this week was all about the NVIDIA Shield, and it was good for the channel because I got a ton of traffic on all of it. A lot of you are really interested in this device. We've had a lot of discussion about it, which will continue in a few minutes. And you can check all of this stuff out in the master playlist down below in the video description. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And if you're wondering why your NVIDIA Shield is not more powerful, it's because Nintendo is selling those X1 chips like hotcakes in their new Switch Lite. And I think NVIDIA is focused on keeping their biggest customer for this chip very happy. And if you look at this report from IGN, it looks like Nintendo dramatically beat analysts' expectations for the second quarter this year. Uh, There was 50.5 billion yen of profit predicted, and they ended up doing 66.8. That's about $615 million in profit alone. Uh, They generated about 271.9 billion yen uh, in overall sales. And it looks like a lot of that is being driven by the Switch Lite, which has the same chip, of course, as our NVIDIA Shields do. Uh, So as I stated during my Pro uh, Shield review, I think what's going to happen here is that when Nintendo announces some new hardware that's more powerful, we'll see whatever chip they use likely be in the next Shield. Uh, But I would guess NVIDIA's priority here is helping Nintendo reach their goals because this thing is selling a lot better than uh, the Shield ever will. So hopefully they'll keep the line going when that new chip comes out. But this is likely why we are also disappointed with the performance on the new Shield. Now, a few months ago, we were talking about how Comcast was going to offer a cord cutters plan for a pretty reasonable price. I think the box they were going to offer was like five bucks a month. Uh, Tech Dirt here says one of the boxes being offered was going to be free, but also as the Tech Dirt article indicates here, they're going to actually be charging people about $13 a month in added fees because you have to rent the Comcast XFi gateway in order to get this cheap or free box to even work. Uh, So once again, read the fine print when doing business with Comcast. There's always something they're going to try to get you on. And once again, they have succeeded in doing so. And Comcast is also up to no good when it comes to encrypted DNS. They are fighting Google's plan to integrate encrypted DNS queries into the Chrome browser. Now, the way DNS works right now is that if you go to a website like lon.tv, your ISP will likely see that query, even though the traffic to and from my website or my YouTube channel is encrypted, the domain query is not. So the ISP has a window as to what sites you are visiting. And that, of course, can be very valuable information that they can sell to advertisers or use for their own purposes or perhaps pass off to a government if they want to get that info. And Google wants to encrypt all of this stuff and have the Chrome browser Uh, default to an encrypted DNS server, even if the computer the person's using is tied up with a non-encrypted DNS from Comcast, for example. Uh, Comcast is fighting this, saying that Google is just wanting to do this so they can get control over every website that every person on the Chrome browser is visiting. And I would agree with their assessment, if not for the fact that Google is not going to just have their DNS server be the only one you can use They're picking a number of other trusted DNS providers that will provide encrypted DNS servers for whatever they are cooking up right now in the Chrome browser. Comcast is running around fighting this in the halls of Congress with their lobbyists, and there is a slide deck that you can find on the article linked on screen here. 
uh, where they try to put fear into all these members of Congress to make them think that Google is out for a power grab here, when in fact they're really trying to make things a lot more secure. Now, in the course of fighting this, uh, the article also talks about the fact that Comcast is making a privacy pledge to its users to say that they are not going to be using that DNS data to market things to you or steal your privacy. But as we know with Comcast, these pledges last only as long as Comcast decides to keep them in effect. There's no law or any kind of regulation holding them to these promises. And we saw them renege on a pledge a while back, uh, this one involving net neutrality. The same day that uh, net neutrality was repealed by the FCC, Comcast also removed their no paid prioritization pledge from the net neutrality pledge that they had posted up a few years earlier. So these pledges mean nothing, and I think Google should continue trying to move towards encrypted DNS because that will protect the privacy of users, and it's unfortunate that Comcast continues to uh, drum up fear among members of Congress about what Google is trying to do with this. And Apple TV Plus has launched, and it's looking pretty interesting, at least for the content that's available. They only have right now like eight or nine shows that are available to watch. Uh, They are not licensing any content. So if you subscribe, the only thing at the moment you're going to get are the shows that Apple has produced uh, for this service. They've got more in the works. Uh, This one called For All Mankind looks really intriguing to me. Uh, This is written by Ronald Moore, who did uh, work on Deep Space Nine. Some of the best story arcs of that show was Ron Moore's work with his partners. Uh, Also, Battlestar Galactica was something that he did. And now this is the latest effort, uh, which is about a... Uh, alternative history where the U.S. did not get to the moon first, and it kind of details how they're going to respond to that. I think it's a fascinating concept, and it looks like it's really well produced. Uh, Apple TV Plus does not necessarily require an Apple TV to watch. Uh, It will work on an Amazon Fire TV. It runs on some of the Sony smart TVs along with Samsung and LG, but it's only more recent versions of those TV sets. And this is one of the things that drives me crazy about this new subscription world we're in, is that we've got a video format here that could easily play on any device there is, but all these stupid licensing deals get worked out, and you often get shut out on some devices and television sets. So as a result... If I want to watch this on my bedroom TV where I've got an NVIDIA Shield connected, I've got to plug in the Fire TV just to watch this, or plug in the Apple TV, I guess. Uh, And then on my LG set, which is only two years old, it's not getting the client for this because LG just ignores their existing customers. They only really focus on the brand new televisions. So if you have an older LG set from like a year ago, you're out of luck. It's only the 2019 editions up that are getting the Apple TV Plus clients. So it's going to be a bit rocky here until Apple gets the client out to everybody. But there's not a lot of content here just yet. So I think the value will probably come later as they get more content produced and there's a broader library to watch on it. The good news is is that if you bought any Apple device, like a computer or a phone or a tablet, in the last year you get a year for free with them, which I thought was a great way to get people introduced to the service. But what will happen is the second that year ends, they're going to start charging you the five bucks a month that they will charge for subscription fees rolling forward. So you may want to put a little reminder in your task list from a year from now to turn it off if you don't want to keep paying for it. 
Uh, but I'm going to enjoy the year that I have. Looks like there's some good content here, and I'm eager to check it out. And what's really nice about Apple TV Plus is that it looks like most of the shows that they've released so far support Dolby Vision at 4K along with Dolby Atmos. So it's good to see them supporting all of these latest formats. And of course, this is also a showcase of Apple's Apple TV device, uh, which of course supports all of those formats as well. So it should look great on my obsolete OLED TV upstairs. And on a related note, uh, you can now get G-Sync on your LG OLED TVs, but again, only the current 2019 editions. So if you do have your PC hooked up to your television, uh, go, definitely check out this article from NVIDIA because you will definitely want to enable this for the best performance. But again, I'm just so ticked off that all of these firmware updates and features only get to the latest TVs, and then you're kind of stuck with whatever you got when you bought it. And I know it's difficult to maintain so many different versions of a television, but LG really needs to do better here for customers. I'm sure there's probably some updated hardware in that TV that mine doesn't have, but I should be able to get Apple TV Plus, don't you think? Let me know what you think down in the comments below. And as one streaming service begins, another one is coming to an end. Sony announced the PlayStation View service will be shutting down on January 30th, just about two months away or so. And this is a service that replaces your cable TV subscription. So you spend like 30 or 40 bucks a month and you get a couple of cable networks and I think some of your local channels as well. The problem with these services is that they are not less expensive than what you might get from cable. Or if they are, they're just slightly less expensive. On the wrap-up a few weeks, a few months ago now, we did a little comparison as to why I'm staying with my existing cable subscription, just because all these other streaming services didn't offer what I wanted, or they cost the same or more than what I was paying now. And I think consumers are looking for more choice, and these subscription services for essentially what amounts to a cable TV plan are not providing that, because you really don't have a lot of a la carte choices. And I wouldn't be surprised if Some of these other services like Sling or YouTube TV announced that they're having trouble as well. So keep an eye on this. We'll see what happens because there's a lot of streaming content coming at people and it's going to be hard, I think, for some of these more expensive services to stay in business. Now, this next story has me all fired up and I've been arguing with my friends constantly about this because I don't think people are looking at this story the right way. And I want to begin by letting you know that I'm a big proponent of digital media, obviously, because this is what I do for a living. And I see things that are happening in Congress and in the public discussion that threaten this business model. And I always like to bring these things up to give people some different perspectives as to where media is going. If we look on the macro level, I think the rise of digital media and all these platforms has brought far more good to the world than bad. Yes, some bad things have happened, but a lot of good things have happened, namely the ability for small independent voices to get an audience. Never before in human history has it been possible to have a single individual get their thoughts out to the world in a way that didn't require power, money, or both. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in the back of everyone's minds when you hear all this negativity floating around about YouTube and Facebook and all these other platforms that are out there. It's an amazing time to be alive. It's a great time for freedom. Uh, Even though it doesn't always feel like we're in a free world right now, the fact is there's far more voices being uh, expressed now than ever before, and that's a good thing. Digital media is more efficient. Uh, It's providing a means of making a living for millions of people around the world. This is going to be the future, whether you like it or not. Yet, the incumbent media is very concerned about the rise of digital because it's beginning to really eat into their 
market, into, their, into the money that they earn from advertising and other things that they do. And there's going to be a lot of effort to drum up a lot of fear about what digital media is and isn't. Uh, because these folks are losing money every day, especially when elections come around. And there was a big hearing on Capitol Hill where uh, Mark Zuckerberg was grilled by AOC and many others in regards to the fact that Facebook has said they're not going to screen candidate ads for truthfulness before they get posted. Now, you would think, oh, my gosh, that's a terrible thing. How could they get away with that? But when you take a step back for a minute and look at what the law is surrounding incumbent media, uh, you'll see that he's actually taking the same stance that the incumbent media is required by law to take, which is the fact that a broadcaster cannot take down a candidate ad even if it's completely untruthful. It is against the law. Check it out. The Communications Act of 1934 explicitly states that uh, a TV station... Uh, will have no power of censorship over the material broadcast by any such candidate. That is the law. A TV station or a radio station simply can't pull down an ad if they don't like the content, if it comes from a political candidate that has qualified for the ballot. And that is it. And it's surprising to me that Zuckerberg just totally blew it in the hearing. He could have threw this right back at them to say, look, the federal law that you all are under uh, requires this of broadcasters Why should I be held to a different standard? And I think he really missed an opportunity here, not only to defend his company's actions, but the entire industry in general. If we're going to have a set of rules apply to one competitor, it should apply to both. And I think it's just driving more of this narrative that somehow all of digital media is misleading and bad and awful. Now, look, Facebook is no angel here. They have done a lot of bad stuff. Uh, But in this area, I think they're acting as their competitors are acting, and their competitors now are going to make hay with this. There's been a lot of media reports about this issue. Guess what? On broadcast media. Uh, Check out this little graph from Burrell Associates that kind of details the shift in spending on political advertising. Uh, I will let you uh, have your own determination as to why we're spending so much money on political advertising. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, But in 2012, uh, the presidential election, uh, there was $9.4 billion spent on political advertising in total here in the United States. This includes other races beyond president, I believe. Uh, And then in 2016, $9.8 billion was spent. But look at the shift from broadcast television to digital. Uh, Broadcasters lost 13.2% of the market, uh, and digital went up 12.7%. I believe this is like a billion dollars here between uh, 2012 and 2016 that got siphoned away from the broadcasters and made its way to digital platforms. And the reason is, is that digital is far more efficient. You can reach people in new and different ways. You can reach the people you're trying to reach as opposed to just sending out a blanket message. And in many ways, it's more affordable per person to make those messages get heard. And just economically, it makes more sense for campaigns to start looking at some of these digital options more seriously. And if you start looking at other pieces of the pie here, like direct mail and telemarketing and even a knock at the door, I don't know how you would police messaging without starting to trample on First Amendment rights. And I think we've got to give voters more credit than the media and those in politics do, uh, because I think voters are a lot smarter than a lot of people think they are, and they know what they're doing. They do do their homework, and I think we've got to give the voters the opportunity to 
make some judgments for themselves. And that is my biggest concern here. But the reality is here at the end of the day, there is no other political medium that has a truth police assigned to it. And I think it's wrong to just focus on the digital uh, component here when we have a bigger pie here that is not under that rule at all. And in fact, in one area is completely banned by law from looking at political ads for truthfulness. And they think that politicians should be telling the truth. They often don't. And that's just the reality, and it's up to voters to make the determination. But these laws really only apply to candidate ads. And as we all know, uh, here in the U.S., there's a lot of third-party groups that do a lot of advertising as well. Broadcasters rarely pull down the third-party ads, which they have the ability to pull down if they are untruthful, but they're making so much money from them, they don't want to start doing it. And I think that's an area where we need better campaign finance rules to open up a window, put some sunlight into where this money is coming from for these third-party groups who, by law right now, don't have to disclose anything about where they get their money from. And I think that would go a long way to allowing us voters to see exactly what interests are driving the messages being sent out. And I think that would be far more effective for Congress to focus on than trying to develop some way to police the truth that might be coming out of the mouths of candidates. It's impossible to do that, but it's very possible for us to see exactly where some of this money is coming from. Incidentally, candidates have to do that, but all these third-party groups out there that support the candidates don't have to, and I think that would be a better place to start. There's a great article on this topic that you can see here on screen that really gets into the differences between candidate ads and some of these third-party ads. And I think it's definitely something worth taking a look at because this is one area of the law that hasn't been tested all that much yet, and it's a very interesting topic to me. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I got this question in on a related note from Ben Cossett the other day, which I thought would be relevant to slot in over here. Uh, and Ben was talking about the fact that he was on one of these free video on-demand services. I think he was watching Pluto TV. Uh, he was on that James Bond channel they've got, watching a few Bond films. And all of a sudden, a Subaru ad for his local Subaru dealer popped up inside of that uh, Pluto TV session. And he was wondering how they figured out where he was. Uh, more than likely, it was just based on an IP geography match. Uh, but it's possible, too, though, that Ben was logged into Pluto TV and they had some information from him from that login. And this is a really a big growing area in digital media advertising because uh, all these connected TV apps are connected to a television, more than likely. Uh, the ads aren't skippable and brands are finding it very useful. Uh, there's an article about this technology on uh, the Smarty Ad site here, which you might find interesting. Uh, because this is probably the biggest growth area in video right now are these uh, free video on-demand services. This is partly why Plex is getting into it. It's very lucrative uh, because the ads are very, very effective and as such command a pretty high rate. Uh, and if you look at some of the things that brands like about this technology is the targeting precision and the granularity so they can get into a local market for Subaru dealers, for example. Uh, so many people are cutting the cord that you can't find them through a cable TV ad anymore. And in, in my area, a lot of people have satellites instead of cables, so it's hard to reach the satellite customers that way because so many now are cutting the cord and using these common platforms, there's a better way to reach everybody now that goes beyond uh, cable TV. And as a result, they're getting much better ROI. 
Uh, so definitely check this out because if you are curious as to where the future of advertising is going, I think connected TV is probably going to be one of the biggest areas, and that includes YouTube as well. YouTube has been switching some of their premium content to advertiser-supported because they see growth in this area too. Now, this next question comes in from Lashroom32 in regards to my NVIDIA Shield review. And he thought my assessment of the device was harsh because it's still a very good media streamer. And I don't disagree with him about that. In fact, we both agree on the price. Uh, But he's saying, look, you can't blame them for not upgrading the hardware when it's unnecessary. And I'll give him that, except the fact that NVIDIA sold this as a device that was running faster. Check it out on their website. The very first item, 25% faster than the previous generation. It isn't. We tested everything we could test to measure whether or not this thing is indeed 25% faster than the old one, and I couldn't find anything that would show me that this device is running faster than the prior version. And a lot of people, some of them wrote into the channel, sold their old shields or bought this new one because of this claim, which is completely unfounded. And it's very much unlike NVIDIA, especially with the shield line, to do something like this, knowing that the audience for this product are enthusiasts who are going to call them out on stuff when they're full of it. And in this instance, this is really bad marketing because the device really isn't, at least as far as I can see, any faster than the prior one. Does it make it a bad product? No. But if you're going to sell something as being 25% faster, uh, you got to show us where that 25% performance boost can be found. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's exactly the same performance for the things that we test as the prior two editions of the NVIDIA Shield. If we go back to 2017, when they last refreshed the hardware, remember they came up with the smaller design for the box and a new game controller, and that was it. I think this go around, they could have easily sold this device without having to oversell it, which is what they did uh, with that 25% marketing claim. Uh, Now, what I'd love to hear from you this week as to whether or not you found the missing 25%. I'm really eager to probably do a video on that because I think it's important that if NVIDIA is communicating this out to people and we miss something, it would be good to be able to show an area that you can demonstrate and measure that this thing really is faster than the old one. I don't want to harp on this, but if I did miss something, it's important to point it out. Uh, So let me know down in the comments below. I still think it's a great product. I have no issues with it. I'm going to continue using it every day. Uh, It's likely going to be one of the products of the decade when I do that video uh, later on this month or next. So it's a good thing, but it's just not delivering what they promised it would insofar as performance is concerned. And Travis Rhodes wanted to know about another new feature of the NVIDIA Shield, which is its remote control. Does it work on the old Shield? Well, I booted up my 2015 Shield the other day, and sure enough, the controller connected up to it very quickly. In fact, I didn't have to go through a menu or anything. I just held down the button here. My Shield picked it up, and it started working just fine. Uh, So this will work with the old Shield. All the features of the controller work, including the voice commands and the Netflix button. So I think if you uh, are able to buy this remote separately, it should work just fine with the old hardware, just as it does with the new hardware. So hopefully they will offer this because a lot of you like this controller quite a bit. And a few of you don't like it at all, but there's going to be some choices out there for you at least. And that is a good thing. Now, my pick of the week this week is a game that we featured in our 8-BitDoe controller review, which is called Xenocrisis. Uh, This is a twin-stick shooter, kind of inspired by Smash TV, uh, that looks really neat and plays really neat, too. Uh, We were playing this on my uh, Nintendo Switch, but it's also available on the PC. And what you do here is you collect these dog tags, which makes your your little character there stronger. 
uh, as you play on through the game. So it's got a little bit of an RPG element to it, I guess, where you can strengthen your character with experience, essentially, and uh, some other cool control features, too. Just a really well-executed twin-stick shooter. And what's really cool about this is that they're also going to be releasing a version for classic game consoles, namely the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis, along with the Neo Geo as well. On the Genesis side, they're going to offer a ROM that you can download for what looks like 15 pounds there, so not all that pricey, or you can get uh, the full-on game with a cartridge and a box and a manual. Um, John Hancock did a video on what you get uh, from this project. And what I really like about this game and a few others that I've been seeing lately is that they are designing these retro-inspired games with the same constraints you would have if you were developing on the original console. And you're getting a lot of creativity as a result of those limitations, which has been fun to watch with this game and a few others. Uh, So hopefully this is going to be more of a trend that we see moving forward to really take some things that we're very familiar with as far as hardware is concerned and add some of the new modern gameplay touches that we've come to love in the current generation of consoles. Really fun game. It's called Xenocrisis. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things to check out, including another refreshed product with another performance boost claim, which we'll put to the test, the Fire HD 10 from Amazon. I already shot the video. It's going up probably Tuesday or Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, This was a great value last year. We'll see if that value continues this year. Uh, So that'll be a fun one. Uh, We also have the Roku Ultra in, and I thought I would do an update on where Roku is at in 2019. These are very popular streaming products. They are the market leader still, and this is the latest of their high-end devices. I think the price on this one is only about 80 or 100 bucks, so not all that pricey, and we'll see how it does compared to prior years. I think Apple TV Plus is supported on Roku as well. Uh, And then we're going to probably do my video on uh, advertiser-supported video on demand. And a lot of people often read this as AVOID, but this is the official industry acronym. And I thought I would look at what you can get on low-cost streaming devices for nothing, namely the Amazon Fire TV and the Roku. So hopefully we'll get to that this week. I actually did all the research for it already. Just a matter of finding the right time to shoot it and upload it. There's so much stuff coming out right now as we get into the holidays that I want to prioritize, but this is definitely on the docket, so be on the lookout for that. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also are now supporting the YouTube membership program, so you can uh, join up there if you want, and you'll get a nice loyalty badge next to your name as you uh, comment on stuff or chat with me. So that's another thing you can do to help the channel. We have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for that free Plex account I talked about a little bit earlier, we get a small commission. We get a larger commission if you gift a Plex pass to somebody else or buy one for yourself. Uh, So you can check out those links there. We have other channels, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast, which is an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel, where you can find portions of this show in a search-friendly format. And then we've got my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. I'm going to be doing more live streaming. In fact, I've got some stuff coming up on Amazon that we're going to simulcast here. Uh, So be on the lookout for me both here and on Amazon. I'll tell you how to find me on Amazon once uh, I can tell you where I am. Uh, But it's going to be a fun little project to start doing some live streaming on the Amazon platform. So all that is coming up soon. And then we have my bell icon here on YouTube. So if you don't want to miss anything that I do, 
click the bell and you'll get notified every time we go live or put up a new video. We have my email list at lon.tv slash email for occasional updates from the channel. A lot of specials and that sort of thing I'll push out through there. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. Over there, you will get a lot of the extras channel content. We have the Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group, which is nearing 800 members, a great source of of content really for this channel. A lot of the things that the wrap-up talks about come from you there. And it's great to be able to have a place where all of you can interact with each other as well, a little bit better than the YouTube comment threads there. And we have my store at lon.tv slash store where you can buy items that I've previously reviewed here on the channel. Uh, One of them soon will be the tube here. Uh, So definitely check it out. And I have an email list that will notify you whenever that stuff goes live, which you can find on screen here. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. We won't be premiering it this week, but we'll be premiering again in the near future. So stay tuned for that. And the live stream's coming up as well. I'll push out an email with the live stream schedule when we get it all together. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.